Are you struggling to believe that there is a purpose for your life? That after all you've been through, seen or done, that there's a chance you'll ever find peace and wholeness again? Welcome to Love and Be Loved. This podcast explores what matters to us the most. Overcoming adversity, success stories on relationships with God, ourselves, and others. Now here is your host, Lena Sibula. I'm so glad for you to listen in today. And I'm so honored and privileged to introduce you today, Blue Robinson. He's a well-known clinical mental health counselor and substance use disorder counselor and the founder of Addict to Athlete Nonprofit. Blue grew up in dysfunctional home and struggled with the substance use and other issues due to the trauma he suffered as a child. Blue turned his mess into message and now helps others to do the same. Blue specialized in addiction treatment and is passionate about helping others. He has worked in the field of counseling and recovery since 2001, working with youth, adults, and families. Blue is widely known in the recovery community as a pioneer in addiction recovery field and inspirational speaker and innovator. Blue possesses the ability to motivate people to reach the great heights of performance and success in leadership and motivation. With passion, purpose, listening, and meaning, he helps erase addiction and replace that void left behind with the talents of an inspirational athlete. He has raced multiple marathons, ultracycling events, triathlons, and ultramarathons throughout each of these experiences he has learned. The human spirit is much stronger than we think. And honestly, his bio is impressive. But I hope and pray you can hear passion and compassion in Blue's voice. And I hope it gives you hope to understand that you are not alone in your struggle and that there is hope and healing and help. Welcome, Blue, to Love and Beloved podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to have you here. And I'm so excited to get into this discussion because recently I was a guest at your podcast, Addict to Athlete, with your beautiful wife, Marisa, and you guys were amazing. And um, you were kind and you're super intelligent. I'm so grateful for everything you do and um, for community and for this world. And I knew 100% you would be a great guest for my platform to encourage, inspire, and to give hope. And please tell us a little bit about yourself and where your journey begins. Yeah, thank you so much. It's an honor to be uh, a part of your podcast. And like I told you before we recorded, I don't get a lot of time to talk about my side. So it's always kind of a a unique honor and, and kind of like a, a strange request when people want to know more about me, because as you know, you're on the other side, you think that you want to in, invest in lots of people and get to know them. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, but yeah, no, I think when, when you were uh, a guest on my podcast too, I could just feel this, this energy uh, that, that you had kind of, kind of explored on, on uh, your story. And so many things that you spoke about resonated with me because of some, some very similar situations 
Um, and coming from a perspective of, of, a, of a male, um, there, a lot of times I think guys in situations where trauma is, is a, is a unfortunate, like, aspect and part of their, their growing up, we have a hard time understanding how to channel that. And so it can go one or two ways. It can go into the anger and the frustration, and it can reciprocate some of that frustration that typically comes out when uh, we try to build relationships or, you know, we can, we can turn it into ourselves and we can kind of hide. And so I feel very blessed to be able to have an experience like I had. And I can only say that now after many years of healing and understanding and, and like I say on Addict to Athlete, turn the mess into the message, because without a lot of really key people in my life, such as my wife, Marissa, and, and just a, a handful of others, I don't think I would be here. I would have been one of those guys that turned inward and probably would have faded away into obscurity. So there's a, there's a lot that, uh, that I've seen, and I, I find it very beneficial now as a father of, of four kids to have had the experience that I had. Um, simply because uh, the the empathic part of, of my heart, you know, put me into a career to be a, become a therapist and a coach to a, a bunch of folks who are trying to overcome adversity through health and recreation and, and change. And I just feel very lucky to have had a heart of openness and not one uh, of of solid kind of like wall building and, and do not enter no trespassing signs hooked to it. So thank you. That is beautiful. And here... You're saying that um, that you are grateful for those experiences, that I know that your heart is healed, you're healed, and that's why you have actually this amazing practice to support others because you understand and you're already on another side. So it's not only brings hope, but it brings that experience of you like completely understand. Because I know... I have uh, these beautiful women in the church, God bless them, you know, they could come after hearing my story and say, I understand. But I was like heroin drug addict, and they were born and raised in beautiful families. And in my mind, I do appreciate what they're saying. But in my mind, I think like, you don't understand. You don't know. Yeah, yeah you don't really understand. You You think that, you know, but until you've been through the uh, abuse or drug abuse or being homeless, you truly don't understand. And I'm so grateful that not everybody going through this experience because we need different experiences to support different people. But this is the cool element that I do believe with all of my heart that God allows us to go through and succeed so we can support others. So we can say to someone, I do understand. And they would know that it's genuine because by the experience. So I'm so grateful that you're doing this and giving back to community because when you interview me, I felt this. I felt and I I keep saying to you, I'm like, nobody asked me this question. That's so cool the way you talk about this because I felt very comfortable and I felt like you genuinely wanted know and you do understand where I'm going through and that was allowed me to actually open up and share with you openly stuff that I actually didn't talk on a podcast with other people although they were fantastic but I kind of been doing podcasts for almost a year so I'm doing pretty much like I'm following my instincts or scripts or whatever but that was totally freestyle and I have to apologize because 
I catch myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, he just make me open up and talk. <laughs> so yeah. I I love to do that for you as well. And please tell us okay. about your amazing nonprofit yeah. because I want people to know why did you decide to create Addict to Athlete? What motivates you? What inspire you? And what keep you going today? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll start really way at the beginning and I'll tell you a little bit about why my eyes became open to, to the need in my community. But it started way back um, when I was, you know, growing up. And I am the, I'm the fourth child of, of a single mother who was in and out of relationships and put us through some pretty heavy experiences. My mother was, was separated and married uh, from her own family. She, she left when she was 14, was married at age 14. So really she was a kid having children. And that alone kind of put us on a path of, of, uh, of, of just difficulty and, and these hurdles that were placed in our family's way. Because when you're a kid trying to play house, literally with real kids, um, all kinds of things begin to fall apart. You know, these relationships that are based off of infatuation other than love, and then just in and out of, of, of men's lives. And so, you know, through, through the process of all of my, my siblings, my two oldest siblings have the same father and my middle sister has a different father and I have a different father. And so uh, growing up, she, my mother was married and divorced upwards of things like six times. And so between that and then the poverty that we experienced um, moving, you know, I mean, I moved, I think I counted 22 times before I was 18. So wow. there were times when rent would be due and we'd be packing up boxes that we hadn't fully unpacked to move. And so it was really unstable. But the one thing that I kind of grew up with, with a single mother and my oldest brother moved out when he was very young. So I was the only boy in a house uh, with a single mom and two sisters. I watched really closely how they were treated and a lot, a lot of disrespect and a lot of emotional and physical abuse. Um, and I watched the way that they, they would treat these people that I truly loved. And, you know, these men would come into my home and they would, you know, stay there their time and then they would leave. And, you know, it was, it was always this negative, this negative cloud following us all. And I have to give my oldest sister, Christy, like a, a very strong pat on the back because she took the role of the mother as my mother was so in and out, you know, she, my mother would say, Hey, okay, I love you kids. And then she'd leave for like a week. We wouldn't know where mm -hmm. she would be. And my sister, Christy pretty much raised us. There was a point in time where my mom did get married to a, a, a gentleman who, uh, whose last name is Robinson. And that, that's the last name that I carry because when I was 18, uh, he'd been the longest, you know, husband that she had. And it was kind of interesting. I, I took his last name and thought, well, I don't know who Thompson is. So I'm going to go with blue Robinson. And the, the week, literally the week that my wife and I were getting married, my mother was getting divorced from him. So it made family pictures kind of strange uh, on our side, but it was just one of these things where she would always run. But I realized later on in life, it was because she just never understood or could com comprehend what real love was. But neither could I then because we were taught what it wasn't. And so I didn't love myself. I didn't know how to, but I always felt like you know, I would go above and beyond for anyone that was, that was hurt, that, that felt like, you know, the pain. I, you know, I, I don't like calling myself an empath because I think that's kind of an interesting thing when people call themselves empaths, but there's a lot of like, empathic feelings that I had where you could see people that struggle. And because you've been there yourself, you just feel it a little bit deeper. And so for some reason, I don't know why, but I think it was just the connection that I had of like always feeling as though, uh, we have it bad and there's things that have happened that hurt, you know, physical abuse and sexual abuse from, from these stepfathers and from these men that my mom would bring into our lives. But for some reason it didn't, 
it didn't taint me so hard that I was completely against society. Um, if anything else, what it did when I finally came out of my fog of my addiction and it was, was courting my wife and I had all these lies and all these things that I had kind of made up so that I didn't have to you know, let my authentic self come out because who's going to want a, a, a colorblind, very poor, very uh, misunderstood high school dropout as a boyfriend. And so I put on this very fake persona because that's what my mother did. She would lie when the truth would sound better. And for some reason, she kind of navigated around life and skated past some of the difficult parts. And so without even knowing it, I took those attributes onto myself. So I just learned to only give people enough um, to, to probably be engaged, but not enough to like really invest. And so that was approaching my wife this way as we were courting. And uh, I had a gentleman who, who knew the authentic parts of me because I'd kind of let him in a little bit. And basically he went around my back and told my, my fiance, my girlfriend at the time, wife now, he told Marissa all everything about me. And I was gutted because I'm like, how dare you do this? You've let all this stuff out. And now I have to be accountable to it. And so Marissa called me and she questioned me about a few things. And for some reason, I, I was speechless. It was the first time I, I ever couldn't, I couldn't talk. She asked me, is this true? have you been lying about this? And I could, I literally physically couldn't talk. And she says, your silence is enough. If you want to continue a relationship with me, you're going to need to get some help. And so I remember the only time I ever had a panic attack in my life, because now like my, my mask had been completely taken off and not because I'd allowed somebody in, but because someone made me, you know, someone took my mask off for me. And I'd never let anybody get that close. And so as I decided to see what this thing called therapy was, um, the, the, the individual that kind of let all my secrets out, he was, a, he was uh, in, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he was considered a bishop. And I didn't really know what that was back then, but he, he gave me a, a pathway to go get some help. And so I remember my very first day in therapy, which is why this is so funny. I go into therapy just thinking I can pull the wool over this guy's eyes so that I can show Marissa, who I want to marry, that I did all I could. So, oh, well. And I went in and I, I said, you know, what are you here for? And I told him a little bit, didn't get too in detail, but enough to where he questioned me and asked me this question that I never thought possible could be answered. And he said, uh, after I you know, told him a little bit, he said, Blue, I think I know a little bit about what this problem is. And he said, you don't know who you are. And I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What does that even mean? He's like, who are you? And I said, man, that is a rhetorical question. It's one of those that can't be answered. Thanks for your time. I think I'm done. And I, I kind of gave him the good day, sir, and, and walked out. And I left. And I remember thinking, that was dumb. I gave him all that stuff, and I don't know who I am. How stupid is that? So I go back to Marissa's house, and she, you know, we were still dating at the time. And she was eager. She said, hey, how did therapy go for the first time? And I said, ah, yeah, it's okay. I think I'm done though. She's like, done? I'm like, yeah, one session and I'm done. Good therapist. And she's like, what do you mean? And so I said, well, really, it's going to be a waste of time because he's asking me rhetorical questions that really can't be answered. And she's like, well, what is it? Lena, I'll tell you, I get, I, I, you don't know about Coach Blue. I'm super emotional. But what she said was, what, she said, what did he say? And I said, well, he asked me who I was. And she's like, well, who are you? And I thought thinking, don't you, don't you go there. I'm like, no one can answer that. She said, I can. I'm like, really, who are you? And she told me. And here I am, 22, 23 years old. And this, this girl, this woman is telling me about what, what makes her tick, 
that her values, her morals, her beliefs, the authentic side of herself, her, the things she's passionate about, the things that she loves, the things that are, she's afraid of. And it just kind of flowed. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I felt, I was scared. Cause I thought, wait a minute, you, you know who you are. People around me know a little bit about themselves enough to be able to answer that question. And it, it did, it scared me. Cause I thought my life, my life's been a lie. Wow. I have thought love was, was a certain way and love was more abandonment and neglect. And so that's what I thought love was and all these things. So I had to go back and apologize to the therapist. I'm like, Hey, knock on the door. Remember me? Hey, sorry about that. I, I think I need to need some help. And I just unloaded on him. And I thought, if we're going to do this, we're going to go all the way. And it was great because what he did was allow me to kind of vent without criticizing or demonizing my mother. Because to me, I thought she did the best she could, but it wasn't good. She put us in bad situations. And the more I started learning about some of this stuff, the more I started understanding that we were abused. We were neglected. I carry scars on my body from uh, abusive dad, you know, from abusive stepfathers and all kinds of people that just punished us kids for no reason. And she allowed that. And so as I was processing this and healing from this and going to therapy, he's like, I said, Hey, a few months in, I'm like, uh, we got to bring Marissa in here because I'm getting married to her. And he's like, Ooh, yeah. Ooh, you, you better bring her in here. And uh, I brought her in kind of take the heat off of me for a while. And even, even now, you know, it was the neatest thing because as I'm sitting there thinking that I'm just this piece of garbage um, and she comes in and he starts questioning her, like, why are you investing in this guy? Um, she starts talking about her weaknesses and things that I didn't know, things that she had felt she had kind of gone wayward on and stuff. But I'm thinking, you're perfect though. How could you have done anything that would make me feel like, you know, uh, like, like that you did something, you know, uh, unforgivable, but it was like, you're telling me everybody has problems. And even though mine were very different than her, she still struggled with the same emotions. And so literally I find, I think we were very blessed because almost a full year before we were married, we were counseling therapy every day. So people think that the first year of marriage, second year of marriage is the toughest. Ours was while we were dating because when we finally were married, it was go time. And I would love to tell you that like, it was like, you know, great. And it, everything was great, but there was still a lot of residual things that I had in, in, in my heart that I was still kind of clinging on to. Like when Marissa found out I'd been lying to her about graduating from school and career choices and things. Um, and when she found out I wasn't even a high school graduate, one of the requirements were go back and get your, your, your diploma. And so I went to adult high school um, and no one in my family ever graduated high school. So I'm like, I don't, I'm blazing new trails here. And I remember one time I was sitting in class and I was up kind of by the window daydreaming, like, like a, like an adult student would. And I noticed her car drive by and I'm like, Oh, look at that. And then about five minutes later, I look up and I see her face in the window of the, of the door. And then she like ducks back and I'm like, and I got mad. I'm like, what is she doing? I'm like, she doesn't trust me. And then it hit me real quick. No, she doesn't, but she cared enough about you to come make sure you were where you said you were, and then to come in and peek her ahead and then see you visually so that she could rest assured that you're becoming a person of your word. And no one had ever done that before. No one had ever really cared or checked up on me. So I, I took that at first as kind of a, a sign of like mistrust and anger and then really processed it right after of like, she must really care. So with her help and her support and just really kind of her, her, her you know, pat on the back, not only did I finish, you know, high school and graduate, I was supposed to be a class of 1994. I graduated the class of 2000. So that was awesome. <laughs> um, she's like, Hey, let's, let's try college. And I'm like, there's no way. 
I'm in resource. Wow. I have all these problems. I have math learning disabilities. I'm like, there's no way. And she's like, well, let's give it a shot. And Lena chipped away at it and I graduated. I did it. And that's a long story short. But then I'm like, okay, well, I'm done. At, you know, During my college years, I went and got my professional license to be a professional substance abuse counselor. And she's like, I think you can keep going. And I'm like, ah, this is, let's not tempt fate. Um, I got into a master's program to be a therapist, which was funny because the first you know, time I met a therapist, I thought they were the dumbest people in the world. Um, I finished that and I graduated with a master's degree and I'm the only one in my family to ever graduate high school and college. But throughout this experience, and as I was building this life with Marissa, um, all I wanted was for my family to be proud of me because at this time we had drawn apart. Um, as I was getting closer to Marissa, my mother realized that she was losing me and what she was losing me to somebody that was healthy. And, uh, as we were getting married and she was divorcing my dad, my stepdad, um, one day out of the blue, as we were first married, like we're talking like month number one, I get a, I get a, a, a letter in the mail saying that I owe $800 on a cell phone. Now back in 2000, cell phones were kind of a luxury. And so you had a cell phone, you had made it right. And $800 back then was nuts. It's nuts now, but I'm like, what? Marissa gets this bill and she's like, you're lying to me again. I'm like, I don't have a cell phone. I promise you. They won't even give me one. I, I had to take out bankruptcy like years ago. Like, I, I don't think so. And she's like, your name's on it. And, and I had no ground to stand on. I'm like, I don't have a cell phone. So we called the place. There's been some mistake. And the guy's like, no, it's in your name. And Marissa's on the other line listening. And I'm like, no, dude, you don't understand. This is not mine. And finally, after some process of elimination, I'd found out because he gave me the initials of the person who put it in my name and the initials were SR. Those are my mother's initials. Wow. Like, what is she doing? Why would she do this? As I'm starting a life with my wife, why would she do this to me? So I called her up and, and it was kind of like judgment day. I wanted to confront her for the final time and say, hey, why are you doing this? You are, you lie to me. You manipulate me. You, you do all these things to hurt me. Why, why, why would someone do that? And as I was getting into it, got, got kind of heated because she was trying to blame it on somebody else. And I'm like, they told me who it was that did this. And she finally said, well, if you're going to talk to me like that, I never want to talk to you again. And I said, please be very careful with those words because I will honor that. And before I could finish, she hung up on me. Wow. And I, I was kind of a wreck. And so I'm like all this energy, what do I do? So I got down, I started writing a letter, right? I'm like, I'm letting her have it. So I wrote this letter and it was huge. It was like eight pages front and back. It took some work to fold the stupid thing. It took like four stamps to send, right? And I put it in this mail. I, I, and I, I walked over to the post office that day. And I remember holding onto the corner with my two fingers. And I'm like, if I let this go, this is going to change my life with this woman, but she needs to know everything that she put me through. And all I wanted was an apology. I wanted her to say, you know what, son, I'm sorry. We did the best we could. And I'm sorry that we put people in your life that hurt you. And I'm sorry that, that there were people that, that, that made you, you made you bleed. And I'm sorry that this happened. And that's all I wanted. But I got thinking, if I drop this, I'm alone. All I have is Marissa. And that was enough. And I, and I dropped it. Wow. Seven years, seven years, no contact at all. And through those times, I'll tell you, like, I invested in Marissa. I invested in my family. I invested in my education, but I always had this, this hole. I, I found out recently because Marissa, you know, the, my wife, she was telling me, she's like, why do you hate your birthdays? I'm like, I don't know, but my birthdays, I'm the biggest grump on my birthday. And I'm like, I have no idea. I had, uh, she's like, is it your presence? I'm like, no, it has nothing. And I didn't realize what it was until a few years back when she's like, is it because your mom never calls you? 
Wow. That's exactly what it was. So even though I'm this 45 year old man, I'm still like, yeah, it would be great to have someone that cared enough, a parent to say, son, I saw you on the TV. I heard you on a podcast. I saw you doing an interview. I'm so proud of you. Never happens. Never would happen. So I'm graduating from my master's program to become a therapist and uh, I'm loving it. And my sister calls me. She says, Hey, you didn't know this, but mom's in town from New York. I'm like, she is the day I'm graduating from college. So I call my mother and I'm like, Hey, we haven't talked for a long time. You know, after that seven years, she'd been on and off, but we didn't really ever see each other. In fact, at that time, you know, I had three of my kids three of my four kids and she hadn't even seen my son. Um, and I'm like, I'm graduating from college to today. I would love for you to be there. And she's like, well, yeah, what time? I'm like 11 a.m. Where? I'm like, it's at the Maverick Center in Salt Lake City. And she's like, okay, well, my plane leaves at four. And I'm like, that's perfect because literally, Lena, you can see the airport from this, this, this facility, right? It's a place where they play hockey. And I'm like, perfect. I'm like, you could come watch. You can watch your son graduate from college, a master's degree. And you could, if you could break down and you could walk to the airport and make it there with plenty of time. And she's like, yeah, okay, we'll see. She never showed. Oh no. I was, I was on the edge of my seat. I'm like, please, please tell me that she came. She didn't. But I remember sitting there and I was looking for her. But I saw my wife. I saw yeah. my sister. I saw my wife holding my three kids. Mm. I'm like that's all I need. That's I guess that's all. That's all I need. Yeah. Um. So it was hard. So I'm like, she doesn't understand how much adversity we've had to go through. And she, you know, she doesn't get to hear the stories about the time that I was walking up a water slide with my two youngest girls. They were, they're 18 and 16 now, but back then they were like, they were like, you know, like seven and five. And uh, we're walking up the water slide and, you know, we've got our little tubes and we're going to walk up this water slide. And all of a sudden, you know, the line stops and we're waiting and I feel this little finger touch my back. And right when my daughter touched me, I knew exactly what she was going to ask. She says, dad, what is this scar you have on your back? And I'm like, oh, no. And I'm so glad that we were at a water park because we're all all wet and there's water coming down. So my tears started Mm -hmm. to come and I'm like, ooh. I said, Brooklyn, that was something that happened to me when I was a little, little younger than you. I said, that was one of my stepdads who didn't like the way that we had, you know, dirtied our, our living room once. And that's what happened to me. You know, he, he hit me with, with a belt and he whipped me with the buckle. And that's, that's what happened. I remember her looking at me like, wait a minute, you're telling me that, that Superman bleeds kind of, yeah. you know? I'm like, Ooh. But this, this cute little thing, man, she looks at me and she's like, I can't believe that would happen. Were you okay? I'm like, oh my heck, you know? And, and Lena, I'm telling you, it was one of the coolest things because I got to tell her, you guys are lucky to have what you, me and mom have. Like, I can't imagine ever hurting you like that. And, and nothing they've ever done would ever put me into a position where I would lose it to that degree. But that was one of those poignant times in my life where I'm like, I get to teach my kids about, about boundaries, about, yeah. about love and about hurt, about pain. Um, and they still remember that. And that was years and years and years ago. But through that process, you know, I made sure that as my wife and I were raising our kids, right. As we were raising our kids, I wanted to make sure that my girls specifically, if they ever felt like 
I was asking them to do something or I was challenging them in some way that they could say no to me. And it was funny because I'd always say, I'd always say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm doing this because I want them to be able to say no to their dad so that the idiot down the street will never have a chance with them, right? Because if a girl has enough courage to say no to her own father, she's not going to even think twice when some idiot kids, you know, trying to do something squirrely. And I said that years and years and years. And then one day, I kid you not, um, my, my youngest daughter, Savannah, she was in sixth grade. So just this little spunky, you know, 11-year-old know, walking home. And she was approached by someone who tried to kidnap her. Wow. And she did everything right. She said no. She screamed. She got away from this individual. She got enough of a picture on her little iPod touch that we could you know, find the police. And they found the person, the kid that did it. But I never, thought, I never thought that that, that I mean, I always said that. And, and literally, Lena, it was an idiot down the street, like a kid down the street that, that pulled it on her. So it was one of those things where we don't know why this stuff happens. But instead of hiding from it and instead of suppressing it, and although it hurts, I mean, it hurts to talk about now, but like, I want them to know that there's some, there's some heavy stuff out there, but we don't need to allow it to sink us. All that said and done, the reason why Team Manic to Athlete started specifically was because as I was dating Marissa, I started to get to know her dad because I had to go ask her father for her hand, right? And that was one of the scariest things in the world. Her dad was like, yeah, you can marry my daughter, no sweat. But her mom, she gave me the, she gave me the stare down, you know, and, and her mother, Sheila, what, an, what a beautiful woman Sheila was. She passed away four years ago, just, you know, uh, just four years ago. And, and I remember her saying, treat her right, Blue, you're going to treat her well. And this is kind of what I expect. But Marissa's dad said, you know, yeah, come run a marathon with me. I'd like you to marry my daughter. I'm like, sweet, I'll do that. I had no idea what a marathon was. You know, it was 26.2 mile run. When I figured that out, as I told Marissa, I'm like, yeah, they, they give me your blessing, but I have to run a marathon. She's like, do you know what that is? But what happened was, as I was running with her dad, Gary, um, training for this marathon, all of a sudden I had a dad wow. I never had before. So I'm running with Gary, her father, and, and we're talking and we're learning about each other. And just the time we spent together. Um, wow, what a blessing that was. And I thought, this is how it should be. I'm having a conversation with this guy. I love him so much. He's taught me so much. So her family, if it wasn't for her family, I probably wouldn't be as put together because you know, I gained a whole family. I gained a mother and a father and you know, you know, brother and sister-in-laws and Marissa. And it was awesome. Marissa's a recreational therapist by trade and I'm a therapist. And as I felt how strong athletics were in my life with, with overcoming addiction, because I started mountain biking when I put all the substances aside and, and cut off all my friends. Um, I started mountain biking and doing some things. And then I started running with Gary and I just always felt so good. And so when the opportunity came in my, in my, in my program, I was working at to open a program of, to help these people that were kind of a, uh, kind of stuck in a 12-step mindset that's all we had here I thought well why don't we try something different you know health and recreation and running and mountain biking help me maybe you can help them maybe I can have these same conversation I had with Marissa's dad running with my clients and it took off I trained five of these athletes to go run a 5k and every day we would show up and and they would start talking to me about problems and about situational issues and, and trauma they experienced while we're running. They'd never tell me in my office, but out there, they'd tell me all kinds of stuff. I started realizing there was something to movement and healing. 
And it's exactly what happened to me as I was mountain biking and running with her dad, I started to heal too. And so I found the connection for it. So I like to say it was my idea, Lena, but it really it was Marissa's idea because she's a recreational therapist. It was kind of her teaching me how to correlate recreation therapy with healing. And that's how it started. Our, my boss said, hey, we'll give you the green light after we had a successful first try. It was great. Uh, they gave us the green light and it worked. And so now 11 years later, we have chapters all over the state of Utah, several throughout the country, and we're opening uh, hopefully one soon in England. And so it was just an idea to help people overcome adversities through health and recreation. So instead of being anonymous and hiding, it's like, share your story. Your story will have the power to influence someone. You know, everyone's story has power in it. As we say, turn the mess into the message. And so don't hide from the things that the, that you might feel make you weak, you know, take your place as a champion, step into the light and, and, you know, see what, uh, see what you can do simply by sharing who you are. So that was a, that was a long answer for. Oh your my goodness. Blue. Like, honestly, I was sitting on the edge of my chair. Like I want to interrupt you so many times and <laughs> my heart just cries out to you, but and on another side, I'm so excited and I'm so hopeful, like, and for your story and for you sharing this with others. And I hope, guys, you hear that too, because our past is not our prison. And if mm. you do have this relationship with your parents, I have one of those too, you know, and mm. I hope and pray maybe this going to help you, Blue, because in one day I have to decide, I had to decide that my mother, who she is, and I stop expecting her to be who I want her to be. And it took this burden from me for many, many years, probably now I'm over 40 years old. She doesn't, um, she never apologized. She never uh, tried to know me or my children. But just recently, I kid you not, last year, she Mm -hmm. joined the Facebook and she tried to friend me. Oh, wow. And I was walking with that phone. I, I experienced already so many emotions because I let go. I let go. I accepted that she's never going to be part of my life. Yep. And I finally was okay because I was trying to reach out, trying to make something happen, trying to forgive, trying to like, you know, I never forget. But you know what? I I saw her life from the new perspective because now I'm a wife and a mother. I know how hard it is. I know. So I want to give her that grace to just rebuild the relationship, but she still wasn't open to it. So I have to, like, I I just have to surrender that pain because it was bothering me. And then I was so fine. And then this message came and I experienced all the different emotions, you know, from pain, anger, hit me like a truck. And I said to yeah. my husband, what does she want from me? She want to be friends. And my husband Absolutely. say, she's reaching out. Why wouldn't you give her that? And um, same as Marisa in your mm-hmm. life, that beacon of the light. This is my husband for me too. Yeah. And I'm so can relate to the family aspect because his parents were stable he was stable and it doesn't mean like that he doesn't have problems because like you said i figure out the same thing all of us struggling all of us have trauma and doesn't matter like if you have a trauma severe as like um 
uh, sexual abuse or human mm-hmm. trafficking or alcoholism or drug addiction, you know what, anything that impacted you negatively and the way how you react negatively right now and it hurts you, it's still a trauma. Yeah. doesn't matter what it is. So guys, please, please, please do not belittle yourself. Do not compare your life to anybody else's life and never think, oh, I didn't get that bad of the life, so I probably don't have a trauma. Yeah. If you feel like something off and something triggers you and make you feel sad, upset, um, depressed, anxious, paranoid, then it's something in there you have to explore because you have opportunity to heal that and actually become a better version of yourself, feel sure. better, do better, um, you know, for others. So you're going to be comfortable with who you are and find out that who you are. This is another thing. Oh my goodness. So many things you said that yeah. I wanted to unpack yeah. because that's another thing struck me about sometimes we are, so impacted by our trauma and perception of the world, but we don't have time and awareness to actually sit with yourself and think, who am I? And so cool to hear how Marisa was talking about who she is, because Mm -hmm. this is like me now. I've been clean for 15 years and only now I can say that about myself. Now, if you ask me who I am, I'm like never going to stop telling you. Yeah. But in that moment, I, I, it was so much shame, guilt, and condemnation. And that's who I created myself to be the same as you hiding yeah. in a bad attitude, being a bully, being this, being that. Because I know how hard it is to be a victim. And yeah. I didn't like it. And I didn't exactly. want to stay there. But it still wasn't true. My victim self wasn't true. My selfish, rude, obnoxious self wasn't true either. Only through help of the people, of the therapy, of my God, of my community. And 15 years. So guys, if you're just like coming out from the struggle, don't expect it's going to happen right now. It's going to take time and army of people to support you. But honestly, to get out, you need like one, just yourself, you know, decide I want to change. And, you know, and there's, there is people, there is, it's beautiful people like Josh and Marisa, there is that one who will help you, who will guide you. Even if you say, you know what, I am alone. There is like no one for me, but there is one person. You just have to be open and willing, just look and trust yourself and go trust to someone I know you trusted someone, yeah. not by choice, but still, and so beautiful because if this didn't happen, you probably not even be together because nope. that trust that you have to build from beginning, it was a blessing in disguise that this has happened to you because honestly, it's mm-hmm. you have to trust someone to get help. Yeah. And um, I was just even thinking how amazing it probably felt for you to go to the therapist and just like pour everything out for the first time without judgment, without any like, like fears, like of being rejected. You just give it to someone. Isn't that feels good. Yep. It's like almost like you breathing better and feels better. And oh my goodness. So guys, like therapy is amazing. Look for someone and 
honestly, um, connect to Blue, you need to ask for help because until you make that first move, you're going to be in that prison of the shame, guilt, and condemnation. And mm-hmm. I want to tell you, we're all the same. It's not unique or special. You're not no. the worst of the worst. You are just human being like everybody else. And if you think somebody won't understand, trust me, just listen to my podcast and you're yep. going to see this amazing, beautiful people overcoming adversities. And I hope and pray it's going to give you hope to make that next step and to look for healing because there it is and hope and healing. And so excited that you actually found that niche to, yeah. to get and the therapy and the sports because, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, it's honestly saving grace because that was for me as well. I don't know if I told you on your podcast, yeah. but I actually black belt Taekwondo. What? And yeah, no, yes, you didn't. Yes. Amazing. And I wow. started right when I come out from not right. It's been a year when I was uh-huh. like, like quitting drugs and I was trying to be normal. I'm doing the quotation marks because I knew that I wasn't normal, but yeah. you know what, whatever like normal it is for you, that's normal. But I was comparing myself to what it can be and what I desire. And I always want to learn martial arts and I try a few awesome. things and I didn't like, it didn't click in with me until I found Taekwondo and oh my goodness, my master changed my life. The way he empowered me like to be any team player, first of all, and then to have a respect for this ability, you know, because before I want to hurt people, of but this time yeah. he taught me how to almost like, it's going to sound cheesy, how to wield this power. So Absolutely. like your mind and your body under your control, like, so he taught me control my emotion. He taught me that that I actually in control of my emotion rather than be like this, like, mm-hmm. like why are you looking at me? And I'm attacking because I assume that something bad going to happen. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm, I'm always tense and prepared to defend myself. So mm-hmm. he taught me to relax because I have the ability to defend myself. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah. Because like... Spot on. So cool. I had this situation that drunk guy actually stopped me on the road. Like I was mm. riding my bike to Taekwondo oh, and, uh, and he was saying so many bad things to me. He actually stopped me and hold my bike. And in my mind, Blue, I kid you not, wow. uh-huh. I could kill him before without Taekwondo. If this oh, yeah. is like, I would attack him and I would smash him and I see like this rage growing in my body, in my face, and I'm getting so angry. And I hear what he's saying to me. I'm like, I'm going to kill you, like literally. But in my mind, I see hurting him, him going to the hospital Mm. or dying or whatever. And it's like, I almost like I have like this out of body experience, seeing all this stuff and thinking, is that's who you want to be? See? And Even I was you like, have, you chose not to. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's make me so surprised. I was like flabbergasted. Yes, I stepped back. This? 
and they just stare at you. Like, this is why I'm taking this for this very moment. It's almost like you almost like you're being set up. Like, is my master around here somewhere? Because oh, you know what? This was so ridiculous that I stared this guy down. I said to him, "Get away from here!" And he got scared and he left. So I came to Taekwondo. I opened the door of my master, not with my foot, but with my hand, with the bash, Uh and I screamed to him what did you do to me see yeah you're like, like i was heck? like what did you do <laughs> and when i told i told him this story and he was one of the role models first male role Amazing. model in my life awesome. just probably like marisa's dad to you 100 and mm-hmm. he literally he hugged me and he said to me he said to me i'm proud of you yes he was oh, like yes sorry he was like first person in my life this is like first time i heard someone really says i'm proud of you and meant it and like and i they are genuine and i took it and i thought wow i do want this normal life i want to be this person you know so yeah and definitely it was amazing experience so i got the black belt and i got my trophies and medals and I, I was like part of different competition and that's what drove me to seek something different and that's why I'm completely understand what you're talking about when people open up because that's mm-hmm. what I did with my master and he gave me the guidance and help that I needed like it's non-judgmental and yeah. for a person truly invested into improve your life I love that. I love that. And and, and I'm going to piggyback off what you just said, because the way that you just described the way that you, you looked into this person's eyes and you, you knew him, you knew that he had carried with him some heavy stuff too. You knew that he was choosing wrong. Um, when that situation happened with my daughter, Savannah, she, again, she was just a, a she was just a, you know, 11 year old little kid. And when the police caught this, this, you know, there was a kid in high school um, that had to tried to kidnap her. And, and, you know, when the cops pulled him over, his, his excuse was he has like bad hormones, he said, or something. <laughs> so you knew what was going to happen if, if he would have gotten a hold of her. We had to go to court, Lena. And um, the, the craziest thing, because we were there supporting Savannah. And then I met with the, the lawyer, the prosecutor for this kid. And, you know, when we got there to the day that the court was and, and Savannah was in the courtroom, she didn't have to be, but she wanted to be there. Um, the judge said, hey, uh, you know, we don't usually have this happen, but the victim is here. Would you like to address the court? So my little 11 year old gets up and I walk with her to the to the podium with you know, the kid who tried to abduct her and his parents. And the first thing she said was, your honor, I'm not a victim. And I'm looking at her like, what the heck? And she, she said, I want you to know that I'm not a victim. And the judge looked at her and thought, he said, I am so sorry. He's like, let me explain to you. And he had to explain to her because of the court and the record of the court. That's just what they name her. But he said to her, I can tell that you're not. And he said, he said, do you have anything you want to say? And I'm just standing there next to him. I'm not whispering anything or anything. This is what this little gal said. She said, I knew when he tried to grab me. When I looked into his eyes, I could tell that he knew something, he was doing something wrong. So you saying that, and, and that I think there's something universal about the way that people peer into someone's eyes and can see through some of that surface stuff. And she said, I knew that he was doing something wrong. I don't like what he did. It wasn't okay with me, 
but I don't think he needs to go to detention or, or jail. He needs help. He needs wow. therapy. What a beautiful guy, soul. Grace. Oh my she gosh. She gave him grace. And I'm like, are you, and, and Lena, that had nothing to do. We didn't talk about this before, nothing. But when she did that, I kind of felt like, wow, we're doing something good. Absolutely. We're breaking the cycle. She doesn't want vengeance. She doesn't want anger. She knows, she knows she's in a position where she could request anything she wants. And she's choosing to give him grace. Um, to me, I could you know, pat myself on the back as a parent and Marissa as a mother, but really it's, it's allowing ourselves to be vulnerable to our kids and, and the people around us, not saying that we're weak because we're not, but it's also like, I don't like what he did. I still think he needs help, but this is what I want. And I thought, man, I carry that into my therapy too. I want to empower people, you know, to kind of stand up for themselves, to advocate for themselves and to play, to stop playing small, like you've said. And so when you said that about being able to look into that, that, uh, that individual's eyes and to know the authentic parts of him, and then to utilize, like, as, as my daughter did too, get away from me and then remove yourself from the situation. That takes a credible amount of restraint and emotional stability because, Man, as, as a dad, I wanted to obliterate this young man. I wanted to you know, peel, peel him apart, Absolutely. but it wasn't up to me. Mm. Me allowing her, my daughter, to make that decision was huge. And she's 16 now. She thinks she's 25, but she's, she's, a, she's a headstrong little gal. She's a lot like her mom. So I, That's you're right. beautiful. Mm-hmm. I want to say another thing when you were talking about your daughter for the first time. I do believe how important this awareness is because our kids are innocent because we create home of peace and love and acceptance. They don't even understand if we don't teach them how terrible some of the situations are. And I'm not telling like, I'm not saying how terrible people are because all of us have tendency to be good or terrible. So honestly, situations sometimes can be terrible. So we have to prepare them so they can be in the world knowing that they can set and the boundaries and they can say no, and they can feel and understand that if they are mistreated or they bullied or something like, so they can, know or remove themselves or seek help or do something like that but the grace is like the the biggest i'm thinking this kid is just beyond her years and i do believe it's because you as a parents create that atmosphere to actually nurture nurture your children rather to tell them how they're supposed to be and honestly let them learn and grow and be free because only then they can make those decisions by themselves for themselves. So that's really the hardest part of that. The hardest part of that whole thing was after everything was said and done, when Savannah wanted to go walk back to her friend's house and Marissa, my wife was like, can I drive you? And she's like, no, I want to walk. And she's like, let me drive you. And I had to pull Marissa's side and said, let her walk. She knows what she's doing. Because if you put that, yes, because, but if you put your fear into her, she would start being afraid. So that was like, I don't know. I don't even know how you guys went through it because it is my biggest fear. It's scary. Yeah. You know, because of my human trafficking situation, because of Mm -hmm. what's happening. And I have to learn to let go every time my 
um, now she's 14 year old she's going to to get um her i don't know slushy or something and she said mom i mm-hmm. want to go by myself but there's right beside it's the gaza station yes. i honestly guys like i want to throw up every mm-hmm. time that time her phone didn't have a data so she could she could call inside the some places, but while she walking there, she can yeah. listen music, but she cannot answer my text. She yeah. doesn't answer. And I'm like, why do you need this stupid phone if I cannot reach you? Exactly. But then I'm thinking like, I would probably call her 200 times. I'm like, I have to mm-hmm. stay by the door or sit like on the stairs and literally feel sick to my stomach until this kid come back. And sometimes yeah. I have to like, I have to say, I, it took me a long while. Sometimes I run after her. Sometimes I drive after her. Yep. I'm thinking like she should be already here. It's 20 minutes. It's make me feel so sick that I have fear, like really like a crazy person running to look for her. And she comes and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, mom. I just took different route to get home. Fun. And I have to yeah. like back up and literally... And it's so funny, though, when they go on to school on the bus, when they're at school, I feel so comfortable. I yeah. learn how to calm myself down. And I'm like, OK, but the funniest part, she knows exactly what to do. I trust her 100 percent. So for me to feel that way, you know, I'm still not in control. You know, if something going to happen, like it's anything like can happen anytime. So for me to feel that fear and shake her by the door, why you didn't come back in 15 minutes or like, why didn't you answer my phone? She's like, mom, but I cannot talk on the phone. I'm sorry. And she have to console me. And I'm like, okay, this behavior, not okay. I have PTSD. I have to deal with that. I have to have like family meetings and tell them I'm sorry I overreact and I have to guide them through because I don't want them to have my fear, you know, and put on them this fear because guess what? There's a million people living and nothing ever happening to them. So I cannot assume that it will happen to her because it happened to me. So I have to have freedom. And she's like, mom, I'm comfortable to work. I can order my food. I have the money. <laughs> if something happened, I call 911 because emergency works on my phone. Yeah. I can scream. I can defend myself. The little ones oh. that time was like six-year-old say, I buy them. I got to yes. buy them. So like it's they like, know because we taught yeah. them this. So it's not her I don't trust. I don't trust myself to go. actually stay calm. But then I have to tell myself one day, they're going to move out. They're going to get yep. married. They're going to have children. Oh, I and I want them yeah. to have a freedom not to think how the mother going to take if I want to work in another city. Yeah. I want them to have the opportunity to choose. I want them to have a freedom to make their mistakes, their decision. I want them to learn and grow. And I want be there for them to support them and guide them be very present in your situation, like um, we would never say, you know what, that guy did mistake, he should be punished and all this stuff and, mm-hmm. and kind of imprint that hate yeah. out of fear. Yep. You know yep. what It'd I mean? It's easy to so, do too. It's so easy to do, but that's the thing. Especially as an adult and yeah. protecting your own kid. Oh my goodness. I oh, would yeah. be like a mama bear. So I'm, honestly, I'm so proud of your 
little that's, kiddo. And that's the I, thing, though, is, is you know, I, I look at this and it's like, you know, we have this 18 year old and she'll be graduating high school this year. And I'm like looking at Marissa and I'm like, where did it go? It went by so fast. I don't want her to leave, but she has to, you know, I'm like, I love being a father. I, I didn't know I'd love it so much because I was worried. I mean, when, when I first had this little 18 year old, when she was a newborn baby, I carried her around on a pillow. Oh and Marissa's like, why are you carrying her on a pillow? I'm like, I don't want to hurt her. She's like, I couldn't bathe my first, like first baby for you a year. It. I thought like she was so fragile. I couldn't yeah. even like bathe her. I'm like, oh, like, oh my gosh. I'm thinking I'm going to hurt her. And she's oh. like, you're not going to hurt her. They're kind of rubbery. And then it kind of hit me. I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's not that. It's dads hurt kids. I'm a dad. I'm holding this little thing. Mm -hmm. How can I even think of hurting her? She's 18 now. And I'm like, where did it go? It went so fast. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, they want to talk about trauma. Delina. That's, trauma is coming when she's like, all right, guys, I'll heal later and going to college. That's going to that's gonna be hard for me. I'll probably need to call you guys and get some more therapy. Isn't that beautiful to see your children? Yeah. And I always thought like, how come my parents never felt that? Did they ever felt yeah. that? How they could allow us to go through it if you have this feeling for this human being. Mm -hmm. But I'm so grateful to God that I survive. I'm so grateful that you're survived. I'm so yeah. grateful that we can share that love with these people who trust in us and support us and have these beautiful families. I do believe we broke the cycle because yeah. my kids never going to be parents the way my parents were and I see my kids and and my little boy he's like so sweet and kind and he mimicking yeah. his dad and I, I keep saying to him, to him you're gonna be just like your father you're gonna be kind and generous you're gonna love your wife you're gonna take care of your kiddos and his yep. eyes lit up but that's what breaking that cycle of the abuse and uh, neglect and stuff like that yep. you know although still our children gonna have their own problems they and, will but I do believe when we overcome our adversity, we can take care of others and support others in completely different way to help them to strive and yeah. learn and to be better, you know? So yep. that's the that's the best legacy you can leave. I it's the, with the people that you love and you invest your time in. So honestly, Blue, I, I love this. And your bio Thank is you. so impressive. And you're prove that it's possible to overcome the adversity mm -hmm. and to be successful despite the difficulties and challenges of life. So where can our listeners connect with you online, Blue? Yeah, yeah. So, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And before that, I, I'm you've met Marissa. I can't wait to one day meet Josh. Like, like I just want to shake his hand because I think that's amazing. But I think you would like him too. I, I know I would. Awesome. So that would be awesome. Yeah. But no, thank you so much. Addict to Athlete. Uh, I'm a licensed mental health therapist and addiction counselor. And so Addict to Athlete can be found on uh, its website, addictoathlete.org. We have all of our social media content. We have all of our podcasts with you on there. You're in there. And all kinds of free content with, with meetings to overcome adversity. And our meetings are a lot different than most. We don't talk about the negative side of addiction recovery. We talk about the healing process and the positive aspects about stepping out of the shadow into the light. And it's all addictions. It's not just substance abuse. It's pornography and gambling and overeating, all kinds of stuff. So addictions kind of run the same mechanisms of, of, of trying to suppress the feelings that we're trying to hide. And so it doesn't matter what mechanism 
uh, our program can help. And so we do a lot of, of public outreach. It's a free 501c3 program. So a lot of stuff we have is 100% just up for grabs. So come jump on and all of our content, you can cut, you can reach me at blue, B-L-U at addictoathlete.org. So love to hear from you. Anybody that needs something, we're here. That's awesome. And before I let you go, Blue, yeah. I would like to ask you my signature question. Please. What does love and to be loved means to you? Oh, my goodness. I told you when I saw that, uh, I, I instantly knew I was going to like you because, you know, I've used that, that, that comment. I've used that statement over and over. And I'm a firm believer that all of us fall in love. And we all know how good that feels. And I'm a firm believer that in that falling in love, we go into stage two, which is falling out of love. And you can fall out of love for a day, a moment, a year, or a lifetime. But I believe that there's a third stage, and that's learning how to love and learning how to be loved. And so my, my, my statement is that is you'll know it when your partner and you know all the good about yourself and all the bad about yourself, and it's okay. That's when you've achieved learning how to love and learning how to be loved. That is beautiful. Any final thoughts, Blue? I just am so grateful for this opportunity. Like, I, I really enjoyed speaking with you. I think your message is powerful. I know your podcast on Addict to Athlete has had a huge influence on so many people. So thank you for trusting me on your platform. I appreciate that. Oh, honestly, it's been an honor to hear your story. And uh, oh, honestly, I could talk to you for hours and hours. I told you that same thing. Yeah. So we'll have to be on each other's podcast again one day because uh, there's lots more to say, huh? Absolutely. And thank you thank so you. much for being our guest today, Blue. And I My really pleasure. appreciate you sharing with us today. And we talk about overcoming obstacles and how to move from healing to hope. Blue Robinson, founder, addict to athlete nonprofit. He's mental health therapist and addiction counselor. Blue helping those affected by addiction to erase their negative behaviors and replace them with positive ones, especially healthy recreation. He teaches them addiction and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Thank you so much for that. Honestly, it's so big because we sometimes get so caught up in shame that it's very hard to move from healing to hope from that too. And um, I'm so grateful that you give people an opportunity to share their story and to turn the mess into message, as mm -hmm. you love to say. Yep. And again, guys, don't hesitate to reach out to Blue. And I will post in show notes links to everything was mentioned in this episode. Stay tuned for another edition of Love and Beloved. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Blue. So grateful for you My and pleasure. your time. My pleasure. And remember, you are never alone. You are loved. You are God's treasure, precious and priceless to Him. Thank you for listening to Love and Be Loved. If you have any questions about what you heard today, visit lovedandbeloved.com. It's love and the letter B with no E, loved.com. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and share the show. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you'd like to connect, we would love to hear from you. So send a quick note to linasabula at gmail.com. Stay healthy, stay safe, love and be loved.